Galatians chapter 3. My title this morning is Remembering Where We, we, be, where we Began. Even if a, you did a surfaced reading of world history and human history, especially what different times have put to literature, you would see throughout history that human beings have had this consistent ability to romanticize or make poetic beginnings. We can think of a, in, in our own life. Uh, baby's first steps uh, as you got older your first date that infamous moment when you got your learner's permit and your license and the first accident yes but then you got your first car first apartment or home first love first major disappointment first deep loss first hurt. It just seems that in all these firsts, something foundational gets created in us. And the same is true when we first came to Jesus, remembering when we first experienced his love, when we first experienced his joy, when we first experienced the freedom that only Jesus can give, when we first experienced real peace that the world can't give. And yet so often, and for so many, the power, the unique impact of that first encounter with Jesus fades. And with it, so can the bond and the commitment that is made to follow him and to walk in his ways no matter what. For so many believers who experienced that, and yet it faded, their commitment becomes more of a deal. Lord, I'll follow you as long as. And this can seem incredible to us that once someone tastes and sees how good the Lord is, that they would go in a different direction. Well, you're in good company. It's not only just incredible to us, it was incredible to the Apostle Paul. Galatians chapter 3. I'll begin reading in verse number 1. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, therefore who, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Paul doesn't get it. He can't understand it. Since the beginning of this letter, Paul has made a few things clear to the churches in Galatia. Walking according to the law will justify nothing. It is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. 
Works are not why you are saved. You can be as good as you want, but saying, well, when I get to heaven, God's going to see all I have done. The only thing that will matter when you get to heaven and God sees the blood of Christ all over your life. It is by faith alone in Jesus Christ that brings God's favor. But while expressing all these truths, he also expresses total surprise, even shock. And back in chapter 1, if you recall, I marvel that you turned away. And at the end of chapter 2 that we looked at last week, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing or in vain. But he opens chapter 3 with an interesting phrase. Oh, foolish Galatians. Nearly every translation of the Bible I looked at for those first three words, and any translation you will look at will be kind. Because the actual translation of the Greek word that Paul used for the word foolish does not simply mean foolish. It means dense, mindless, dumb. He's basically calling them idiots. Paul doesn't get it. That's why he says, who has bewitched you? This had to be by some spell that you experienced. Something had to have come over you to really turn from the pure joy, the real peace, the total love that only comes from being justified by faith. And now he makes comparisons, not only about the lie that following the law versus the truth is. Here he takes them back to where they first knew the Lord. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law? Are you being made perfect by the flesh? He is basically saying, remember how your walk with the Lord started. He wants them to remember that they were not justified by good works. They were not justified by following rules and regulations. They did not gain favor with the Lord because of any of the laws that they adhered to. They are not righteous before the Father because of anything in them at all. They are righteous before God the Father because of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ the Son made, and they embraced it by faith. They become justified because of what the Lord did, and they accept that by faith. Now, we never want to be people who live in the past. That is, for the most part, fruitless. God is real today. But it can be good from time to time to look back and see the many blessings that God brought into your life. How, as we sang today, how God has been Jehovah Jireh, how he has provided over and over again in your life. And remember the beginnings of various things. Yesterday was August 20th. 2022, but I want to take you back to August 20th, 1983, at 10.30 a.m. in the morning. A church service was starting at the Lighthouse Tabernacle Church of God in Central Islip. That service lasted about 35 minutes, and I wasn't even preaching. At which time, at the end of the 35 minutes, our pastor, David Fox, 
pronounce Lori and I husband and wife. There have been many awesome days since then and many not so awesome days since then. But our life together began not just with love for each other, but on the foundation of having faith in Jesus Christ, that he would help us, that he would provide for us, and that he would guide us each and every step. And I can tell you that for the last 39 years, he has been faithful each and every day. In all relationships, there are ups and downs. Sometimes it can be helpful to remember the desire when these things started. But now, to be honest, looking at the Galatians, the problem with the Galatians, regardless of the Greek word that Paul used, was not a lack of brains. It was not a lack of sense or a lack of reason. The problem with the Galatians was a lack of faith. Church, our walk with the Lord began by placing faith in Jesus Christ. I need to say that again. Our walk with the Lord began by placing faith in Jesus Christ, which means it'll always be based by placing faith in Jesus Christ. It'll be sustained each and every day by placing faith in Jesus Christ. We will always, as long as we have breath in this life, receive power from on high by faith in Jesus Christ. We can get so wrapped up in doing things, of the things that we do. And many of them are good things. How often we pray. How often do we read our Bibles. How we treat others. How often we gather with other believers. How many acts of service we do to one another. And let me be clear, these are all good things. Please do them. But none of the things I just mentioned is why you are righteous before Jesus Christ. You are righteous before him because you placed faith in him. Only Jesus can make you righteous before God, and only he can do that. And Paul asks them, do you remember? Do you remember when this whole journey began? They were so insistent. They had been so bewitched that the only way I will be able to be righteous before God is by following the Mosaic law, following its principles, following its guidelines, following its ceremonies, following its requirements. So then Paul turns and, and basically says, well, since you're so insistent on following the Mosaic law, let's turn to where the Jewish people began. And he turns to not Moses, he turns to Abraham. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 6. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Even today, while all of the patriarchs of the Old Testament are rightly honored by the Jewish people, travel in any of their circles and they will be clear to you that they are children 
of Abraham. How did Abraham gain favor with God? It wasn't by following a book of rules. It wasn't about hearing to ceremonies. It was by believing God by faith. And that's how he became righteous in the sight of God. That when God spoke, he believed God. How many of us need to follow that example? That when God speaks, we believe him. When God directs, we follow. When God gives us peace, we embrace that peace because we believe that no matter what we see, no matter what's going on, God has everything in control. And that faith was accounted to him as more than all the good works in the world. Paul, Paul took them back where? For the nation of Israel it all began. Abraham did not receive favor because it was due him, not because he, he deserved it or because of the crowd he hung with. Abraham did nothing to earn God's attention. This was not a reward for meritorious service, nor was it a plaque that he got at the end of a 25-year career, like a gold watch, nor was it a wage that he had earned before God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham obeyed God when he didn't know where he was going. Can anyone relate to that? God says, do this and go here. And our faith, Holy Ghost responses, You want me to do what? You want me to talk to who? You want me to be nice to who? But Abraham believed God when all the physical evidence around him was contrary to what God wanted him to do. He believed God and dwelt in the land of promise. It was the land that God had promised him, but he dwelt in it as in a foreign country, as I don't belong here. Yet he believed God would make things happen. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise. It wasn't because of his family line. It wasn't because of his bloodline. It wasn't because of who he was or where he came from. It was in whom he had faith. And our lives are no different today. We're living in amazingly different times than almost all of us could have ever imagined waking up to each day. Yet God is asking us to be people of strength and people of promise and people of hope, even in the midst of nothing around us supporting that. Romans chapter 4, verse number 3. For What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace but as a debt. But for him who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, 
his faith is accounted for righteousness. And since the Galatians had been so bewitched, according to Paul, enough to think that following the law or following any law would gain them status as children of God, as children of Abraham, Paul makes it clear in verse 6. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture says this principle of going by faith is one that had been foretold. You do realize whenever any letter in the New Testament talks about the scripture says what, he, what Paul or any writer is talking about is the Old Testament. Because the New Testament hadn't been formed and put together yet. So when it says the scripture foretold and preached that the Gentiles would be grafted in, this is what was there in the Old Testament and was God's plan all along. Because the scriptures equal the Old Testament. It was God's plan from the beginning that his people would be his people by faith. So following Jesus by faith was God's design all along for Jew and Gentile alike. Abraham is the father of those only who live by faith and trust in God, circumcised or not. That is where our faith began. That is where we, if we can remember those, just it seemed like simpler days. In that faith relationship is where our love for the Lord took root. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. portion of scripture that is often read, especially now that there's so much emphasis on end time awareness. Revelation chapter 2, I'll begin reading in verse number 1, to the church of the angel at Ephesus, right? These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, and know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. This sounds like an amazing church. A church that is doing all the right things. A church that is involved in making sure they stand for truth when there is no truth around them can it be clear that whatever this church in Ephesus was going through, it's a lot like what we deal with today. Yet he says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. So they were doing these things, but there was no relationship. And we need to be always careful and trust me, I know a lot of what we're talking about in Galatians thus far is about the liberty we have in Jesus and the freedom we have in Jesus and how we've been set free from the bondage of rules and regulations. I promise we're going to get to Galatians chapter 6 eventually where he talks about uh, be strong and don't grow weary in well-doing. We'll get to that. 
But for now, he wants to drive home to the Galatian Christians who have been bewitched, who have now fallen into this place that they believe they're right before God because of the things they do or the things they follow. No. I can come to church 10 times a week, which would be a lot. I can read my Bible for, let's see, if I sleep eight hours, 20 hours a day. I know that doesn't add up to 24, but you know what I mean. I can feed the poor. But if I have no faith in Jesus, those are all good things. And people in our culture who do them need to be honored. I, have, I agree with that. But if we come to a place where we think the things that we do are the initial foundation of why we're going to have good standing with God, we're just wrong. It's always amazed me how when I go to a funeral for a Christian and for someone who everyone there knows was a believer, who loved the Lord and followed the Lord and had faith in the Lord, the overwhelming majority of what is discussed at the funeral is what the person did rather than what Jesus did for the person. Now, if you want to talk about it at my funeral, which I'm hoping is no time soon, but if you want to talk about at my funeral all the things I've done, the countries I've visited, the sermons I've preached, go ahead. But you make sure you also talk about what Jesus did for me. That I'm right before him because I accepted his sacrifice and that's where the line ends. And anything I did for him was because of what he's done for me. This church's first love, which apparently they left, was not the works, because those works are good. They stood against evil. They rejected those who claimed they were apostles, but they were liars. They stood fast and had perseverance and patience. They labored in his namesake, Paul says, uh, John says. But they were missing something, a love relationship with Jesus. Rooted and grounded in faith. Grounded in faith, not in feelings. I love Jesus every day. And some days I feel it really a lot. And some days I don't feel it so much. And I'm being honest, I'm human. But whether I feel it or not, my love for him is real because it guides my steps, it guides my conduct, it guides my words. Every one of us can always benefit from a return to that first place where we met Jesus. Where we, we can all benefit from that simple beginning where it was just Jesus and faith in him. That was the basic requirement then, and church, it's the basic requirement now. We tend to then add things. That yes, it's faith in Jesus. Now you got to do this and do that and attend this and help with that. 
And all the things that we're trying to add are good things, but they're not things that justify us before the Lord. Only thing that justifies us before him is faith. It's faith in Jesus. When we ask him for healing, we have faith in him. Reminding God of how good we are is not going to get you healed. Reminding God of how good he is and that you have faith in his goodness is what's called faith. It was the basic requirement then. And Paul is trying to guide them and help them see that this is not where they need to be. That they need to follow him by faith, not by works. Now, again, if there are works you wanted to do, if the Jewish Christians wanted to maintain as a cultural identity, as a heritage connection, they wanted to maintain the ceremonies, that's fine. There are various traditions within many cultures. But none of those traditions, none of those cultural dynamics are what make you pleasing to God. That when, Jesus, when God sees you, he sees his son. When God sees you, he sees the blood of Jesus has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. And by Jesus' sacrifice, you have been made right with him. You know, I think what was happening to the Galatians is what happens to the church a lot. They got confused between two concepts that get talked about in theological circles. And that's the concept of justification versus sanctification. That I'm justified before God by faith in Christ, but that the sanctification part, my continued maturity in the Lord, is because of what I do. And there are things we need to do. We need to avoid evil. We need to avoid lies. We need to stand for truth. But you were justified when you came to Jesus. And I don't have to ever justify myself again. I am justified before the Lord because of what he did on that symbol right behind me, on the cross. That was the requirement then, and it's the requirement now. Basing your relationship with Jesus on anything else, well, I won't use the word that he used in Greek. I'll just say it's foolish. Stand with me, please.